Some tasks are simple, but they cannot be performed by a computer. Audio transcription, image recognition, survey completion, these are simple procedures that almost any human could execute, but the machine learning models that we have have not gotten consistent enough to get them done accurately by a computer. Scale is an API for human labor, created by Lucy Go and Alexander Wang. Similar to Amazon Mechanical Turk, Scale sends small, simple tasks to workers who can complete those tasks. Scale provides an interface that is easy for developers to use, and unlike Mechanical Turk, it does not require a dashboard. You can simply use an API. Similar to how Stripe allows developers to build software off of payments systems easily, Scale allows developers to build human-driven manual tasks into their code, which unlocks a wide range of potential applications, which Lucy and Alexander discussed with me. This is a fascinating episode. And if you're in the Bay Area on January 11th, you should check out the Software Engineering Daily Meetup. There's going to be some awesome speakers. There's going to be food and a positive atmosphere. You can find more information on softwareengineeringdaily.com or at the Software Engineering Daily Meetup page. It's going to be totally free, and I hope to see you there. Lucy Guo and Alexander Wang are the creators of the Scale API. Lucy and Alex, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Scale is an API for manual tasks. What is a manual task? Anything that a human needs to do. So, for example, content moderation, where uh, ML just isn't good enough yet, and a lot of it is context-driven. So a human actually needs to go in and determine whether content is appropriate or not. Yeah. Um, for Scale API, we mostly focus on tasks that can be done over remotely or on a computer. Why are these tasks hard to automate? Uh, it's mostly because technology isn't there yet. A lot of these tasks require human intelligence or human judgment. Um, and even though there's all this hype around AI and machine learning right now, uh, there's huge swaths of problems that simply aren't reliably solved uh, in completely automated ways. And so you need humans to go in and make judgments or make decisions um, about the tasks. Yeah, and a lot of ML solutions may have 80% accuracy, but for many startups, 80% accuracy just isn't good enough yet. So more generally, what is a human more suited to do than a computer in today's applications when we have things like human in the loop or certain human and computer symbiosis interactions? What's the general case for what a human is good at and what a computer is good at? Yeah, so um, there's there's a couple different uh, sort of categories which we think of. Um, the first is uh, humans are really good at sort of media processing. Um, so this is processing video, audio, images um, are like basically all of evolution has, has designed humans to be able to be very good at, at processing images, doing image recognition, like understanding words, understanding language. Um, and all these are things that uh, computers simply aren't good at yet. Um, then there's there's another sort of class of, of problems, which is uh, questions about sort of like human um, human customs and human human standards. Uh, this is like content moderation, for example, where uh, the it's hard for a computer to know exactly what is inappropriate or or appropriate or inappropriate. Whereas for a human, it's very easy to judge because we sort of live. Uh, in the world and we we understand like what the social norms are. 
So this problem has been tackled before by Mechanical Turk and then other platforms that have been built on Mechanical Turk. What have been the challenges for these previous platforms? Where have they hit roadblocks? Why haven't they been able to solve this problem in the ways that would be most preferable to people who are developing applications that need this type of human manual tasking? Yeah, so with Mechanical Turk, all the labor is crowdsourced, so anyone can sign up and do tasks, and that means that it's hard to hit a certain quality bar. We hire all our own work scalers, and then on top of that, we build all our own tooling, so we optimize that tooling so um, scalers can complete it as quickly as possible with high accuracy, which drives down the cost for companies. And on top of that, we're able to manage quality by adding a tech layer above it. So we like to think of ourselves more like a BPO with technology applied on top. What is a BPO? Business process outsourcing. Okay. Yeah. So what's the difference in effectiveness between scale and and Amazon Mechanical Turk? I guess from you know from all angles like user experience and quality, how do the two platforms differ? Yeah. So we think um, we're I mean, we're biased, of course, but we're we're significantly better um, on a couple areas. So first is uh, Scale API. We're an API-only product. We're really focused on the developers and their experience. Um, and especially compared to Mechanical Turk's developer experience, uh, we provide a much simpler API that's much easier to integrate. Um, Mechanical Turk's API is extremely complicated. It takes a lot of, a lot of wading through documentation to even get started. Um, so that's that's sort of the first main difference. Um, then in terms of uh, of the quality of responses you're going to get, um, here this is another big difference where we we have all these systems in place to make sure that for all the task types we support that we have we have quality built in and that we're never going to send back um, like extremely bad results to any of our customers. Um, and and that's not a guarantee you'll get with Mechanical Turk, unfortunately. Uh, Mechanical Turk is sort of a, a pure marketplace for better or for worse. And so uh, you don't get any guarantees on quality or when when the tasks are going to be returned um, and all that. And then I think the last thing is on on Mechanical Dirk, you have to you have to sort of worry about the full stack. You have to build the tools. Uh, you have to build the interface. You have to build basically everything for the whole application. Then Mechanical Dirk just provides access to labor. Um, whereas we, we think that... Uh, we're positioned to basically solve way more of the problem for a developer, where instead now all a developer has to do is sort of specify their data in and maybe some light instructions, and then uh, we'll sort of control the whole process. We'll, we'll bring them quality. We'll bring them a great de- developer experience, um, and, and so they don't have to worry about it. I've heard that spam is sometimes a problem on Amazon Mechanical Turk. Yeah. Like you'll have to do something like when you have a task you send it to three different Turks and perform kind of a consensus on the results. So why is there such a spam problem in this field and how do you handle it? Yeah, yeah. So um, as Lucy was mentioning before, a lot of the problem is because it's fully crowdsourced. So anybody on the internet uh, can can sign up on Mechanical Turk and start doing tasks and earning money. Um, but that since there's no like really strong quality feedback loops uh, in the Mechanical Turk product, um, it almost incentivizes uh, spammy users to just sort of spam and, and make a couple cents for, per task. Um, and so the core problem is really there's no, uh, there's not strong enough feedback loops for, 
for the people who are working on Mechanical Turk. Um, and it's sort of this open platform that's accessible to everybody, so there's no good quality control uh, for for the supply. Um, for us, we tackle a lot of this by building relationships with our scalers, uh, making sure that there are clear expectations for what quality they should be having, um, how quickly they should be completing tasks, uh, working with them to, to have good training and good screening, um, basically to make sure that uh, we don't face any of the same spam issues because we're, we're building a more sustainable uh, system. How do you hire these scalers or what do you call them? Like, do you call so them scalers? We call them scalers and we got pretty lucky. Our first batch came from another YC company that had a project canceled. And then afterwards they've been recommending their friends. And um, we have also just have an automated exam we post on, for example, Facebook groups. And then people take this automated exam and if they score well, then we reach out to them hmm. and hire them. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. And we test based off different skill sets so we can see what tasks they would be good at based off of um, what skill sets they have. So can you give an example of like, uh, just for people who are listening who might be a little confused right now, what's an example of a customer that would come to scale and need something done? And how does the task get posted? How do the scalers end up receiving it? Uh, yeah, so one good example is uh, sort of self-driving car companies. Um, they, they have huge data labeling needs, for example. Um, they, they need to label videos, they need to label uh, images, and, and sort of understand that where the cars are in an image, where the people are in an image, and so on. Um, and, uh, and, and we help them with that. Uh, we help a couple of self-driving car companies. And so uh, basically what we do, or the way the whole workflow is... Uh, we're an API-only product right now, and so uh, a developer will integrate into integrate our API into their software system, and and so they'll send us an API request uh, which posts the tasks, uh, literally a post request to post the task. Um, then, uh, once we receive the task, uh, we will go ahead and add it to our queue, and then we have scalers who are sort of working around the clock, um, and and they sort of get get delegated uh, tasks from the queue uh, and, and complete them in our UI that we've built for them. Mm-hmm. Um, then once it's completed, uh, it might go through a couple stages of review to make sure that the answers are, to make sure the responses are quality. Uh, and then ultimately, once we deem it high quality, we send it back to the customer. So in that process, you have this big data set of uh, output that the scalers have produced mm-hmm. and you do you mentioned there's this quality control step that you take what does that what does that quality control step look like yeah we usually have uh, extremely high performing scalers or extremely trustworthy or high quality mm. high high performing scalers oh so there's a reputation system exactly built yeah. in. interesting yep um and then once once we really trust them um then we put them on our review queue uh which and obviously, we still understand there's going to be error in the review queue, of course. Uh, but we we have them review other scalers' responses um, and make sure that uh, the whole pipeline is working, basically. Mm-hmm. What's the compensation system for scalers? We pay them hourly, so they're incentivized to do well. Okay. And do the higher reputation ones get paid more over time? Yes. Yeah. So does it... You know, when I, when I, when I was like looking at Mechanical Turk, um, sometimes I get the feeling like, there are tasks that seem like they should be feasible for Mechanical Turk, but for some reason, you know, the platform ends up not being able to support it or 
you know, for some reason or another, there's not a good way to automate certain certain manual tasks. Mm-hmm. Um, is there are there any tasks that come to mind that are uh, that that scale is able to do that were not previously able to be done on on Mechanical Turk for whatever reason? Yeah, so I think um, right now the best example of that is our image annotation API. Okay. Um, this is this is sort of the it was a task I was describing earlier where we you give us an image and then we'll have a human go through and annotate the the responses. Um, it's difficult to do a task like this on Mechanical Turk uh, because of the quality control issues that I that I mentioned before, um, and and the the common approaches to getting around these uh, the quality issues on Mechanical Turk, for example, like farming a question out to multiple people and just taking the majority response, mm-hmm. that doesn't work with uh, image recognition, image annotation, because you can't just simply take the majority response. They're all, all your responses are going to be different, right. at least slightly. Right, right. Um, and so it, it's really hard to tell, uh, even if you get 100 responses, what the right response should be. Um, and so, so I think that's a good example. Uh, we're just about to release uh, an audio transcription API, which is uh, another thing which would be very hard to do in a high-quality way on Mechanical Turk, um, almost for a really similar reason, where the responses you get could, could just be like slightly different. Uh, okay. It would be hard to gauge. Yeah, it seems like... Okay, so it seems like one of the big breakthroughs is the reputation system versus the Turk method of spam prevention where you have two thir- the two-thirds thing. You have three people voting on a task and you take the majority. Uh, the reputation system seems a lot more robust, a lot more efficient, and as you just pointed out, there are tasks that you can do where it's not this uh, very limited decision set uh, for the results. You can't even do a consensus because you know there's such subjectivity to it yeah. That you really need some other solution, which is the reputation thing. That's that's very interesting. Um, hmm. do, so, do you does the reputation thing? Are there te- continual tests over time to ensure that somebody doesn't get lazy and yeah. and we're constantly checking to see how quickly they're doing tasks and what they're like, how fast they are compared to average and whether they're improving over time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we have um, we, they constantly. Uh, a, a sample of our requests are constantly reviewed, mm-hmm. um, and then for for new scalers, uh, we actually we start out by reviewing a large portion of their requests, um, and then and then as they prove themselves, we review less and less. Um, yeah, and 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 I think one other big breakthrough that or one other big uh, huge huge improvement that we've had was sort of um, building like the automated testing, the automated training. Uh, which sort of has made the whole process really seamless. And I also think the tooling has been really big because companies could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, of thousands of dollars a year just building their own tooling and optimizing it, and we're optimizing it for them essentially. Yeah. So then um, that way they can get cheaper prices and better results. The tooling you're referring to the fact that it's an API and not no. So like um, for example, for image recognition, we have our own um, labeling tool, and companies would normally have to build their own labeling tool, and we're optimizing ours constantly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I I think one of the biggest things was sort of uh, viewing this problem from a technologist perspective. So if you look at uh, the main players in a, in in this space, uh, they're outsourcing companies. Um, who, whose customers are big banks or big financial services companies uh, or insurance providers and all that. Um, 
and and none of them sort of had a technology lens to the problem. Uh, and we we come we're both engineers. We both we worked at Quora. Um, we worked at other like startups, and so we we obviously like want to build our way out of uh, any sort of problems we see. Yeah, and you have it baked into the name in the sense that it's the Scale API, which is much different than you know Alex. You and I were talking earlier about the the uh, Turk mechanical Turk way of doing this, where you upload a CSV, which is your data set, and then it gets done in this big batch fashion. And with the API, with the idea that you can just submit a task as an API call, it turns the the system into much more of a streaming, well, a platform that's accessible to streams and continuous, uh, you know, continuous cycles of of uh, getting results from the API as opposed to this batch. Um, so talk, I mean, talk more about that. Talk more about the API. Like, what is the importance of being an API versus this big dashboard that we see on Mechanical Turk or Crowdflower or, or these other Turk-like platforms? Yeah. So um, personally, we think engineers are starting more and more companies, and engineers don't want to deal with operations or hiring operations. So by being an API, uh, it's literally just one curl command, and then you can send a request and get your task done. Um, it's just easy and seamless to integrate and there's less to build on their side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing we've really seen that's powerful is sort of, um, is, is building automation, uh, basically like automating all these requests is really powerful. Um, you can almost treat uh, scale API as a service in your architecture, um, where, you, you send us requests and then we'll send them back. We'll have certain SLAs on quality. We'll have certain SLAs on how quickly we can return the requests. Um, and you can basically treat it as a service like any other service, almost as if it were uh, a dedicated machine learning service or a dedicated uh, like like random number generator or something. But basically, you can treat scale as a service through the API, which is, which is really powerful, which means that um, the humans are completely abstracted away from, from the developer. Uh, and they can they can integrate it in really cool and complicated ways into into applications that you couldn't do if it were just bash CSV. For example, one of the first apps um, that we saw somebody build using Scale was uh, this this messenger bot called Card IQ, uh, where basically you would have um, the the messenger bot would ask you to like uh, upload pictures of business cards, um, and then it would automatically. Uh, it would send those pictures of business cards to scale, and then we would sort of transcribe, oh, here's the person, here's their email, here's their phone number, here's the company. Um, and that result would get sent back as soon as it was completed, and it'd be just this seamless user experience. Um, and there's no way you could do something like that if you had, uh, like, if you had to send them in CSVs or anything like that. It does feel like it's in accordance with the, the serverless, quote, serverless trend. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, just making calls and getting SLAs and not having to worry about servers managing your, yeah. uh, your, your, your complex business processes. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. We're sort of, we're sort of in this really cool phase of technology where, where, um, we're just abstracting away more and more, mm -hmm. uh, more and more core processes and, and just dealing with them on a pure SLA basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons why APIs are API companies in particular are so interesting right now. Yeah, and particularly to developers because it's like the amount of leverage you get out of these kinds of services where you don't have to think about the servers and the uh, like database redundancy and stuff. It's like 
it's it gives you so much more leverage because you're not spending time on operations and um, okay so i want to talk more about how the api actually works so if i want to create a task let's say i have an image recognition task uh you know i've got some application where you know every time a user goes through a workflow there is some part of Im- image recognition there's some some image recognition task in this workflow so if i'm using the scale api how do i instantiate that task how do i begin feeding it data what's the the workflow for the individual developer who is using the scale api yeah so um we have docs uh at docs.scaleapi.com quick plug uh and and we have client libraries in in ruby python uh android i think too um and and it's a simple rest api so it's easy to use using just like a request library but basically um you you just uh in, for example, if you have an image recognition task, um, you'll just in, use, say, our Python client library is literally like scaleapi.create annotation task. Um, and then you'll include the image, a URL to the image, include what objects you'd like annotated. For example, you'd like uh, books to be, to be annotated and you'd like um, glasses of water to be annotated in a photo. Uh, and, and that's really it. As soon as that that call is completed. Uh, it instantiates the task. It adds it to our queue, and then once our once our scale is completed, and we we send back the result. Um, we send it back through a callback. So on every task, we ask you to specify a callback URL, um, which is a URL that we'll we'll send a request to once we're we're done with the request. Um, and that way, the whole process can just be completely automated on your side. Mm. So what if I want to chain multiple tasks together? Like I want to do the image recognition and have the first person tell me, you know, is there a glass of water in this picture? And then the next person tell me something about that. Or like the first person, you know, talks about the, the, what is in the image in this or, or something like where it's an audio transcription. Like the first person in the chain of commands does the audio transcription, just the raw audio transcription. The second person does something like, um, you know, condense that audio transcription into one paragraph or something like that. How do you, how can you chain stuff together in automated fashion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the beauty of, of callbacks and, and sort of callback oriented architectures is that uh, it, once it's completed, uh, you can just immediately in that callback create another request um, and specify the same callback URL, a different callback URL, um, and just have all that logic exist in the callbacks. Um, and, and you can easily sort of chain together multiple commands. I think we have a customer who's chaining together like four or five yeah. uh, requests. <laughs> Um, like a chain of four or five requests in a row, which is really cool. Would do they ever have frictions in in building out that that you that were like revealed uh, problems in the architecture that you had to fix? Uh, not really. I, I mean, I think there were like small things. Like I think um, like our our like, when we send callbacks, we we send them with like um, exponential back off if uh. if the callbacks fail. For example, I think there was like a small thing where like our our delay was too short. And so we were just like getting rate limited, but I, I, there were like small implementation things. Um, but I think as a whole, like the, the callback model is proven to work out really well. Uh, and yeah. Fascinating. So I noticed that there's like a phone call facility on scale where you can like make a, make an API request, like, Hey, scaler call this number. 
so that that sounds interesting. Did you use Twilio for that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and w- like, what do people do for with phone calls, like with automated phone calls? Yeah. So um, there's some simple use cases uh, that we're currently supporting, like um, phone surveys is a good one, okay. um, where you just where a lot of companies will will sort of survey people given their phone numbers. Um, another one is uh, sort of appointment confirmations. Okay. Um, confirming with the venue or confirming with the 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 customer that right. that like everyone's set for the appointment. Um, in general, it's sort of these things where uh, phone calling is really sort of like the like one of the most reliable ways to reach somebody. Yeah. Um, and and just given a simple script, we can we can execute on. Do, do you have problems with customers doing spammy stuff at all with uh, with scale like robo dialing in annoying ways or anything like that? Uh, we have faced we have faced <laughs> one client, but uh, other than that, it's been pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I I think we've uh one of the good things is so mm-hmm. far is like the mm-hmm. the developer community we've sort of we've mm-hmm. we've reached so far have been benevolent <laughs> developers. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, I imagine that, um, that, yeah, for example, this one client that was doing some spammy stuff with our phone call API was, uh, relatively not good, but we just sort of, um, stopped serving. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the backend. So can you give a description for what the backend looks like? What, what is a request? What, what happens when a request comes in? What do you host it on? Yeah, just what is the process of, of servicing a request? Yeah, yeah. So um, our stack is uh, Node, Express, uh, React, and, and Mongo. Um, so relatively standard stack. Uh, and right now we're we're hosted partially on AWS, partially on Heroku. Um, and and basically the the whole process for for servicing a request uh, is basically. Uh, you send us an API request, it hits our API server, um, we receive the request, uh, and then we'll, we'll add it to our queue. Um, preliminarily, we'll sort of, uh, we have scalers who, who are, who are trained and, and sort of certified on different task types. And so preliminarily, we'll, we'll sort of, uh, decide which scalar pool to send it to. Um, and then, uh, Depending on its urgency, we have like this urgency parameter in our API. It'll either get sent sort of pushed to the front of the queue or, or put mm. more towards the back. Um, and then, uh, once it gets sent to a scaler, um, they'll, they'll complete it using our UI. Sometimes they'll get a hint. Uh, sometimes we, we supply hints using machine learning to just like give them something to work off of, um, which sometimes optimizes the process a little bit. Uh, and then, uh, once they complete it, if they have high reputation, for example, then we'll just immediately send it back. If if they have low reputation, then we'll send it through review, maybe send it to other people, um, and so on. And so when you're building out that infrastructure, do you feel like it's like a, uh, a do you feel like you're building a commodity service where you really have to focus on cutting costs, or do you feel like it, you're pretty defensible and the margins are high enough in the business where you don't have to worry as much about the you know, the hosting fees or, or, you know, stuff like that right now. Yeah. I would say margins are pretty good, but also costs naturally go down as we optimize the tooling because our scalers just get faster doing tasks. Yeah. I'd say, um, well, one of the good things about, we, we went through YC as a company and, and one of the great things mm-hmm. is you get 
Oh, the credits. So many hosting credits. Um, that, so yeah. at least for the short term, we aren't too worried about um, yeah. <laughs> hosting costs. So as far as the back end that you've built so far, do you feel like, I mean, I've done so many shows about, you know, microservices versus monolith. So it's, yeah. it's I mean, it's like kind of a cliche at this point, but it's still a question that people like to hear about. Do you... Do you feel like your your backend is monolithic right now, or do you feel like you've broke you've architected it such that it's more services and broken up, or do, do you feel yeah. like it's so early that you it doesn't even really matter, or how are you thinking about the architecture? Yeah, so we definitely want to move toward. I I mean, um, in a lot of ways, even even when we think internally about scale, uh, we think about it as just one big distributed system yeah. um, where. Where the scalers are are themselves services in in our overall service architecture. Sure. Um, and so, as a company, we're we're sort of forced to think in this like service oriented way uh, because because in a lot of ways, like our whole our whole business is around um, having this like one large distributed system and 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 making sure there's quality, making sure there's speed, making sure there's accuracy. Hmm. Um, and so. Uh, and so we we definitely I, I mean right now I'd say like our app is more monolithic than I than I'd like it to be but um, I mean at, we're actively moving towards more service oriented architecture um, it's it's sort of in our in our blood and our identity as a company where we have to think about uh, engineering with with services in mind um, and so uh, definitely we need we're the the goal is to have everything be well broken up and and well segmented into great services well i mean it's early on so it's like you know monolithic is probably better in many ways because you, you know if you're a small team and yeah yeah you want somebody to onboard and like understand everything then they could just like stroll through the the monolith and yeah, under, yeah. understand the monolith um yeah th there's definitely a value in that and so i mean right now we're we're definitely sort of in the middle ground where we have like a couple services um and then uh i think I think the the service-minded philosophy um, to sort of systems design and software engineering in general is um, is really important to us as a company. This is the biggest thing. I'm kind of curious about the sourcing the scalers, the labor for the scale. Um, how do you feel about the amount of workers you've gotten so far? Do you feel like there's a shortage? Is there a surplus? Uh, I mean, what's your sense of the scaler labor market? Um, I'd say we're we can easily get scalers um i would say that right now we're maybe at a slight surplus uh, and this just helps us answer requests as fast as possible when they come in yeah. and then we can easily scale that up and down as needed mm. at this point does a scaler so a scaler that's already on the platform do they when a new request comes in do they get like a message yeah. or an email so or they get messages so they can immediately click in and uh, do it if it's an immediate task messages so their side looks like a dashboard of some kind yeah so they have a dashboard but they also get notifications and for all so there's a wide variety of tasks that scale supports so is it on the dashboard side for the scaler is there just a different experience for each of these different task types that you have? Yeah, so there's a different UI based off of different task types, and then um, they'll only get notifications if they're enabled on that task type. Do you have a sense for what the scalers 
what their lives are like who they are like what's the day in what's a day in the life of, of a scaler yeah a few of them have kids um some of them are in college and doing this to support their college tuition uh and in the united states or anywhere yeah so we have them all around the world okay. yeah and we actually took a look and we pay them really well relative to what countries there are they're in okay do you know what like an hourly rate for a scaler is or we don't disclose that. You don't disclose but, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Diplomatic. Um, so what what kind of interesting businesses are you seeing people build on top of scale? Or are they just, or mostly are you just seeing like people uh, getting their stuff done in their pre-existing businesses more swiftly? Yeah. So we've seen a, we've seen a mix of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, I mean, right now we're, we're still pretty early on, so we haven't seen like full-on startups or full-on businesses built purely on scale um but we've definitely seen a, a bunch of startups have integrated with scale some like core uh some core features or some core um core pieces of their their application or their businesses mm-hmm. um and that's been really cool to see um there there are a bunch of examples i mean the the biggest ones are or, or a great example was card iq that i mentioned before like the mm-hmm. messenger bot um there there are a bunch of of startups that are using us for like simple data categorization or, or data labeling. Um, and so I think in general, uh, what we've seen is like the startups have, have needed tools to be able to, to access human intelligence. Um, and, and they sort of constantly have had this need. Uh, and before the best way to do it was really unclear. It was, uh, there's mechanical Turk, which has all these quality problems. Uh, you can't really, use a BPO because they only want to deal with customers that are, that are giant mm-hmm. um, and have huge needs. Uh, and then beyond that, it's, it's really unclear on how to, how to start some of these operations. Um, and, and we, what we've seen is like, we've sort of provided like a, like a tool for, for a lot of these startups that, that they wouldn't like a lot of times they would have just sort of like given up on, on these tasks. And then now we've seen like with our API, it's really easy for them to get started. Or they would have had their in-house team do it or like have their engineers do it during their free time, which just ends up costing them a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. So you have all these different task types and each of these is like an API or a service that you have to manage. Are there challenges to maintaining all of those APIs? Uh, Yeah, I'd say that that there's definitely... um, like So the reason I ask... I um, I, you mentioned Quora. You mentioned you were at yeah. Quora. I remember reading this post by Adam D'Angelo, who's the CEO of Quora, a long time ago. Where he was talking about why Quora doesn't have an API. And he was saying, like, a big reason for it is that, you know, an API you have to maintain. And if you expose the API and you build it wrong, then people are going to, people are going to build applications on top of that API. And if, if, it gets deprecated, then they have a really bad experience. And if you're building an API for developers, then you've got to maintain these these APIs. So, yeah. yeah so that's that's the reason I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us as a company, we're we're an API company, and right. so our only product is really these yeah. these yeah. APIs. And so <laughs> a little um, different. Um, they they are really important. Uh, it is important for us to sort of like uh, be thoughtful about adding APIs and be thoughtful about. Um, making sure that sort of like the surface area of, of our product is, is low enough so that we can still move quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, we like our, our whole focus is, is in these tasks, in these APIs. And so I think we, we, we're, we have a little more affordance to sort of, um, 
be able to to invest a lot of resources into them. What happens when a user makes a, a malformed API request? Yeah, a lot of times um, the, the we just error it out um, when they when they create it, and then in some cases it's uh, it's malformed in a way that only a human can discern. Mm -hmm. um, in which case, one of our skills where will report a problem and mm -hmm. we'll still error it out. We talked about Twilio a little bit, like utilizing the Twilio API to make automated phone calls. What are the other APIs that you see as promising for building platforms on top of for use with scalers? Like maybe something with like the Uber Rush API or yeah. you know, any, any of these, do any of these other newer APIs come to mind? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think we're really exciting times where, where mm -hmm. there are like so many cool APIs being built. Um, and, and it's sort of really empowering for the developer. Um, I'd say that for right now, uh, um, I think, uh, I think we're, we're trying to focus on sort of like the, the tasks that people can do at their computer. Mm -hmm. Um, they can do remotely. And so, um, for now, I think, Twilio was probably the big one for us. Right. Um, and then beyond that, a lot of it is just sort of like being able to build really good tooling ourselves. Mm. Um, since a lot of these tasks, I mean, uh, that the reason that they're so, they, they had been so expensive before is just cause there's, there was no good tooling. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so we've, we've had a lot of fun building really good tooling, um, to help, to help optimize a lot of these systems. Um, yeah, I, none of the other APIs come to mind right now. Uber Rush would be really cool um, once mm -hmm. we start, if, if and when we start doing sort of like local yeah, uh, yeah. local tasks. Do people use Scale to train supervised learning algorithms and then eventually take the human out of the loop? Uh, yeah, so there's some of that. I mean, like, for example, like self-driving car companies. Ah, okay. Um, they're, they're trying to build fully automated self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. Um I think one of the, uh, so, so I, I, I think there are definitely people who, who will use scale in that way. Um, I think one of the, the reasons why, um, it's not too worrying as a company is because there are always going to be sort of more problems that, that these companies will need to solve, uh, and, and will always sort of have labeling needs, um, to, to be able to build models that can, uh, that can, that can solve these problems better. Hmm. And then even, even in a case where like, they're, they're at, like, for example, self-driving car performs really well, um, in, in one condition because they've, they've gotten enough training data for that, that situation. They're still going to need to, to build training data sets for the edge cases. And so I think a lot of the, the biggest applications or the biggest, uh, supervised machine learning problems today, there's sort of like this insatiable need for labeled data. Do you sense that there's going to be like an increase over time in the complexity of the tasks that you can give to a scale yeah, person? Yeah, so um, we think we have a data network effect. So for some tasks, we are collecting the data and then we want to start applying like um, the hinting when we have, I think we have like 95 to 98% accuracy on that. And then as we can do more and more hinting, we think that we can start adding endpoints that are higher in complexity. So for example, outbound sales, recruiting, uh -huh. personalized emails, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. We, there's, um, one of the, one of the coolest things about our company is that there's just sort of a wealth of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, it's, we, we definitely, there, uh, in the future, there are so many opportunities to do like more complex tasks, um, and, and sort of climb the ladder of, of, of complex lessons. Like 
like one of one of our guiding missions is like eventually we could be scale could be the future of work um, mm-hmm. because it, it, we could get to get to a state where basically um, all these these pieces of work these work units tasks um, are are created by software systems um, and and we might not even be too far from a future that looks like that like if you look at uber sure. uh, all of their jobs are created through through a software system sure and so uh, we see a lot of potential for for sort of scales like a long-term platform mm-hmm. so what does that hinting look like what do you mean by that um so for example we can take a task like let's say content moderation right and then um apply ml and see like give a hint like maybe it's good or maybe it's bad and then they can either say like yes the hint is correct or correct the hint and this should just be slightly faster so that's like one quick example so image recognition is getting really good automated image recognition the same is true for transcription there are certainly other tasks that right now you need a turk or you need a scaler to do but as the accuracy gets really good i mean do you sense that those will get so good that they'll simply be removed from the suite of tasks that you'll have on scale or do you think it'll still be a thing where like the systems just get to the point where you know there's the in the 99th percentile you've got edge cases that you need to kick to the automated system and you know get some scalers to look at yeah i think i think there will always sort of be a need for for humans in the loop so even in these systems that are getting really good like image recognition and nlp and stuff yeah i i do think so um i do i do think that uh the the demand for certain endpoints might change over time Mm -hmm. um and just like just based on sort of where new businesses are being built or where technology is is where like technologists are focusing on and so um it's certainly not the case that like uh our one of our endpoints like the demand will always grow forever and forever mm-hmm. um but uh and so we do expect that that the demand per endpoint will fluctuate uh but i think for all of these tasks there's always going to be sort of room for um for sort of humans in the loop especially in cases where people need extremely high accuracy uh yeah there if you if you look today there are not too many problems that are solved on a completely automated basis everywhere. So what are the biggest challenges that you guys have right now? I think right now it's um, just balancing supply and demand and then constantly improving our UI because by constantly improving the UI and UX of the tooling, um, we'll be able to, uh, I mean, like drive down costs, increase our margins, and then increase speed and get people results faster. When you say balancing supply and demand, because yeah, it's a pretty fine line, right? Like we don't want to be in too much of a surplus. Because the because they yeah. get the the scalers get resentful and don't and they I guess they they don't feel like they're a part of the platform as much. I I wouldn't say they get resentful. Um, I would just say that it's just it's a fine line. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys are like growing kind of slowly and deliberately. I guess you don't have a feeling right now like where like your hair is constantly on fire and you're constantly trying to solve. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't say that. I oh, think, okay. <laughs> um, I, I think we're, uh, we are actually, we're growing pretty quickly right now. Yeah, okay. um, and we've seen a lot of really good adoption um, from a variety of companies. Uh, and so I, I would say like, uh, I, I don't know if we're, we're quite at a point, like one of our big focuses is like 
building our way out of out of uh, problems. And so uh, that might be one of the reasons why we seem a little more zen, maybe. Yeah. Um, because I think I think we've done a really good job of building uh, building systems and building software that that has alleviated a lot of like the operational right. problems mm-hmm. or a lot of the the major um, the major like the sort of things that that would that would drive away all drive our, our attention and stuff like that huh. um but uh yeah i mean we're definitely in a point where like every everything's breaking and we sort of need to uh we need, we're sort of keeping up with everything what are some of those processes that you have put in place because i mean you're an api business that's a high uptime business yeah like what how do you uh keep the zen you know avoid the operational hair on fire problems yeah i i think I think some of the big things have really been around um, building systems so that we can we can building resilient systems so that we can guarantee quality uh, to our customers. I, th- I think that like was one of our one of, was one of our like um, has been one of our biggest uh, focuses is is guaranteeing quality, um, and that's been one of the things that that we've really focused on building software to to help support. Um, beyond that, I think uh, I think. Like the operational concerns around like recruiting mm-hmm. and and balancing supply and demand, like Lucy was saying, um, these were all these are all like real operational challenges. These are like uh, they're hard to solve, but we sort of we we really tried to build our way out of it, mm-hmm. um, and and it's worked really well. Cool. All right. Well, Alex and Lucy, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. I'm really excited about the Scale API and yep. happy to have had you guys on the show. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wow.